seriously popular. Have you ever felt like escaping to your own desert island? Jane Gaskin did exactly that, trading in the family home to begin a new life in the tropics. But she soon discovers that paradise has its secrets. I'm Alice Levine, and this is The Price of Paradise, the island dream that ends in kidnap, corruption, and murder. Wish you were here? Follow The Price of Paradise now, wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. After deliberating for about two and a half hours, 33-year-old Josef Pushka was found guilty of murder, his story not believed by the jury. Judge Justice Tony Hunt, he did say he was glad that they didn't waste any more of their valuable time on Pushka's farcical story. From the team that brought you the trial of Lucy Letby, this is The Trial, Ashley Murphy. Okay, so we're back today, just a day ahead of the sentencing of Joseph Pushka. Just to walk you through, really, what's going to happen tomorrow in court. Nicola, you're here to tell us exactly what we're going to find out tomorrow, how it's going to work, because it is different to the UK. And we're also going to have a chat to a legal expert in Ireland who's going to walk us through just a little bit around the detail of the differences between Ireland sentencing processes and the UK and just what sort of sentence Joseph Pushka might be looking at. Yeah, Caroline, in these courts in Ireland, the judge actually has quite a limited power. There is a mandatory sentence for life imprisonment for the crime of murder. And we're going to walk you through a bit of that today. Welcome to episode 12, The Sentencing. Right, so let's get into this then. So tomorrow morning, Nicola, what are we expecting to happen? Will court convene at 10 o'clock as usual? You know, we, we know that Justice Tony Hunt is in charge again, the judge... How will he run this? What are we expecting to happen tomorrow at this sentencing hearing? Well, I suppose from the outset, we'll be expecting another packed hearing. It's been standing room only all through this trial. The Murphy family will undoubtedly be there. And you would have to imagine that Joseph Pushka's family will be there as well, because they've come every day of this trial as well. What happens usually is that the family of the victim will get to make a victim impact statement. And we don't know who's going to do that on behalf of the Murphy family. We don't know if one or several of them are going to speak. It could be that Ashin's brother, Cahal, speaks. He spoke, you might remember, last week on the steps of the criminal court. And it could be also that Ashlyn's partner, her life partner, she was with him for six years and they were planning a life together. Ryan Casey, he could also take the stand tomorrow. 
to describe the impact that Ashin's horrendous murder has had on him. Yeah, and it's increasingly important, isn't it? And we, we covered this in the Lucy Letby trial, that these families get their chance to speak. We said at the beginning, and we've said it across the podcast, Nicola, that it was made clear at the beginning of this trial that this trial was not going to be about Ashlyn Murphy because it was going to be about the defendant and whether he had committed this crime or not. That's now been deemed to be the case in that verdict last week. And now it starts to be about her. Now this family get the opportunity to really tell us and tell the world and tell the court and tell the jury and the judge and tell Joseph Pushka exactly what impact this crime has had on their lives. Yeah, 100%, Caroline. This victim impact statement is an opportunity to let Pushka know how the crime has impacted exactly emotionally on the Murphy clan. The statement will be in their own words. So we've heard a lot of legalese in this trial, as you do in all trials, but this will be really from the heart, you could imagine, Now, how does it work? Do they hear that victim impact statement before the sentencing or does he sentence and then the victim impact statements come in afterwards Um, in the UK court? It would normally be victim impact statements first, followed by the sentencing from the judge. Yeah, Caroline, and that's probably what Justice Tony Hunt will do tomorrow. They'll probably call the Murphy clan forward, whichever one is going to make the statement or several of them. And then after they have read out their statements in court, I imagine that they read it themselves. Sometimes they'll ask somebody else to do it like a solicitor. But um, given this case, I imagine they'll do it themselves. And then we would expect Tony Hunt to impose sentence on Joseph Pushka. And you mentioned at the beginning, Nicola, that actually the judge at this point now in the trial doesn't have an awful lot of power in terms of imposing sentencing. And I'm interested in how, in the difference really, because in the UK, it's obviously mandatory life sentence. And then the judge has the power to impose a tariff. So it might be a whole life term or it might be, you know, 25 years before you come up for parole or whatever it might be. But based on the severity of the crime, the judge then has the power and the authority to impose a tariff. I think that's different, isn't it, in the Dublin court? Yeah, uh, Caroline, so in Ireland, a life sentence is meant to last for life. And Judge Tony Hunt will actually have no say-so over that. The sentence for Joseph Pushka will be a life sentence. But prisoners who have been sentenced to life imprisonment are often granted temporary or early release. In fact, the majority of them are. So a murderer must serve at least 12 years and then they may be eligible for parole. And crucially, and this is um, a new development in the Irish justice system, the family have an input. They have a say in whether a person can be released early. That's, and I didn't know that. That's really interesting. So that is very, very different, isn't it, to other systems then? So the family of the victim have a say in potential parole or not of, of the person who committed the crime. That's right. Now they don't have the final say, but they do have a say. And you would have to think that their input would be listened to. Mm, absolutely. Thankfully, we have a fantastic guest who's going to walk us through all of this and exactly what might happen in the courtroom tomorrow.
Uh, so my name is Emer Delergi. I'm a criminal defence barrister, so I practice uh, primarily in the Criminal Courts of Justice, which is in Dublin. So I uh, I practice there every day, running trials or bails, uh, do that on a defence basis. Emer, so we're here today to talk about the murder trial of Joseph Pushka. And this was a case that many, many people have said to me, there was so much evidence weighted against Joseph Pushka. How did a case like this ever come to trial in the first place? So what happens in criminal trials in Ireland is that every charge except for murder, a guilty plea will be of a benefit to you, essentially. So if you enter a guilty plea, you will get a discount on any sentence that you will receive. The issue with murder is that regardless of how you plead, you're going to get a mandatory life sentence. So if you're coming from the perspective of an accused person, I mean, what's the point in pleading guilty? You know, you might as well take the chance of running a not guilty and go for trial, because even if you had a 0.001 chance of getting an acquittal, most people are going to take that risk because pleading guilty is, well, that's it. You're getting your mandatory life sentence. So I think a lot of them just take the chance. They might think that they have very little real chance of getting an acquittal. But like I said, even if you had that tiny, tiny chance, most of them will take it. And of course, there's there's a huge cost to the state for a trial like this, isn't there? How much would a, a trial like this cost? Oh, God, it'd be hard for me to do the maths a lot because if you bear in mind, you have, I think there was three barristers for the prosecution and then they have a solicitor and all of the DPP and all the guards and the investigations. And then on the other side, um, I'm not sure if the defence had three. I know they definitely had two barristers and a solicitor. So that's going to be huge money. You're going to be paying um, daily rates towards them. Um, yeah, you have to put all of them together. So it is a, a huge amount of money. I wouldn't know the exact off the top of my head, but um, it was a four week trial. So you have to pay for everybody in that room, all the preparation they did to run a trial. So it is, yeah, it is something that's costly. But I mean, that's, uh, I guess, the the cost of having a democracy. I mean, it's important that everyone gets to to run a trial if, if they choose to do so. It's interesting what you said there. It, it, does the judge, Ema, have no jurisdiction, no discretion on tariff then? So could Joseph Pushka not have been given credit for a guilty plea? Not at all. Not at all. Hands are completely tied on this. So either way, whatever had happened, if found guilty by a jury, pled guilty, exact same uh, outcome. So it's going to be life imprisonment. The reason why it's gone back for sentence is more so that the victim's family can have their voices heard so that they can kind of prepare what's called a victim impact report. So when it comes back the next day, it's not for a lawyer to plead for leniency, which they would ordinarily do in every other charge in Ireland. Um, in this case, it's more for the families to prepare and get their voices heard and they can say that out in the courtroom, say how this has impacted their lives. But ultimately, he's getting a life sentence. It's mandatory in the country, so they've no choice. What's the tariff on life sentence in Ireland, Ema? So I think it starts at 15, does it? So what is there a sort of top end that it could be, it could go to? I know that the average at the moment is 18 years. That's the average time that you would serve. I think some people are in uh, for 40 years now. There's some people doing really, really long ones, but that would really depend. I mean, they can go for parole. It, what it works as is it is life. So the only way that you get released is by applying to the parole board for release. 
So that occurs, I think, 12 years. And then after that, it will be every two years until they decide to release you. So they look at um, everything that your life is in the prison, what you've been doing. Have you been going to school? Have you been working? Have you been a good prisoner, essentially? I mean, if you get into a fight or if you breach any of the prison's rules, you might get a thing called a P19. That will work against you generally. But also you need to acknowledge the crimes. You need to acknowledge your guilt. These are all things that they'd look at. And of course, they'd hear from the family, get the family's viewpoint on it. They'll hear from the victim's family and the victims will give their thoughts on whether they'll be released. So you can go for parole. That will determine your release date, essentially, is when the parole board decide to uh, release you. So it can really depend. But the average is 18 years at the moment. But the fact that Joseph Pushka pleaded not guilty to this case, and I suppose the fact that he put the Murphy family through this awful trial, how will that count against him, Emer? do you think? Well, I mean, ultimately, um, I'm not sure. Most people, I mean, it's very rare to have a guilty plea um, in a murder. It's, it's so rare. You rarely hear of it. But I think that, you know, if you're going for parole, I think a, a precondition of that is that you have to accept that you did kill her. So that's something that he, if he is going for parole, he is going to have to accept. And the Murphy family will obviously have their voices heard. But law generally states that not guilty pleas aren't meant to count against you. So you're not meant to be punished for your not guilty plea because that's a, a legal entitlement that you have. Have you ever felt like escaping to your own desert island? Jane Gaskin did exactly that, trading in the family home to begin a new life in the tropics. But she soon discovers that paradise has its secrets. I'm Alice Levine, and this is The Price of Paradise, the island dream that ends in kidnap, corruption, and murder. Wish you were here? Follow The Price of Paradise now, wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. One of the things we've seen a little bit more often recently, Ema, in the UK courts is defendants refusing to come into court for their sentence. I wonder whether that's something you've seen of at all or more of recently? Yeah, I mean, I have seen it once or twice if they know things aren't going to go very well for them. But um, as I said, for every other case outside of murder, it would be no benefit for them to not turn up to court. Um, it might be difficult for Mr. Pushka because he's in custody, so he will be physically brought to court by the prison officers. So I'd be surprised if he wasn't there. We've heard this before that prisoners sit in their cells under the courts or wherever it might be, refusing to come up. And of course, we're not a sort of society that would force yeah. somebody into a courtroom. So that's been one of the things that they have been brought to court, but then have refused to come into the courtroom to hear those victim impact statements. And as you said, that's the opportunity for the families to say the impact they've had on their lives. Yeah, no, absolutely. But I mean, if he's refusing, they will just press on. I mean, that is just the reality of it. He's still going to get his life sentence regardless. But You mentioned earlier on about, you know, we're in a democracy and the, the right to a trial is part of our democracy, which is absolutely right. What did you think of this particular defence? 
it clearly didn't work anyway. The jury absolutely didn't believe any of it. Obviously, they came back with a unanimous verdict. All 12 of them didn't believe the version of events. But I guess if your back is up against the wall and you need to explain the evidence that's been presented with it, he would have gotten the evidence. He would have seen what's called the book of evidence, which is what served on an accused person. So he would have been able to go through it. I guess this is it. What else can you do when your DNA is found under the nails of the victim? You have to find reasons for that. So I assume that's look, that's what he told his lawyers and they had to run with that. And that's why he had to get into the box, because generally, as a general rule, we would advise against taking the stand. It doesn't usually add to accused case, but in some circumstances, you absolutely have to. I mean, if you are going to suggest that a different version of events occurred. The only way you can get this into evidence is by taking the stand. So he had to take the stand because while accepting he was at the scene, he was saying what the prosecution were saying, well, it didn't actually happen that way. It happened this way and this way. So he he had to take the box if he wanted to put that to the jury and wanted to put that information across. He had to get into the box. Yeah, and I think just as Tony Hunt, he almost had sympathy for Michael Bowman, the defence counsel. He said uh, when the verdict was delivered that Michael Bowman had very little to go on. He said he was trying to make bricks from straw. Yeah, I heard that report in the news. Unfortunately, I think uh, if there's going to be any appeals on this, I think I'll let the Court of Appeal deal with any comments made by the judge in this case. Uh, it wouldn't be appropriate for me to to discuss that, unfortunately. Yeah, no, I think the point he was making as well was was that what, what you said, actually, Ema, which is you are the barrister in the case, you're the defence team. If that's what the defendant is telling you, that's your job. You run with it. Yeah, absolutely. You can only go with what you have uh, and you can only go with what the client tells you as well. I mean, you can be in a room with a client and going, look, this is not going to go down well. This is not credible. There's conflicts here. There's conflicts there. But if the client goes absolutely, this is what I want to do. This is my case. This is what I'm saying happened. The lawyer has their hands tied. Um, It's their case. They run it how they please. And the lawyers, they do it within the confines of law and evidence, of course, but uh, that's their case. Has it often happened to you, Ema, in your work where you've sort of said to a a client, this isn't going to work. There's too much evidence against you or whatever. And they've insisted and you've just had to go with it. I don't think there's been any barrister who hasn't had a situation where there's been, you know, you're essentially telling the client that, look, the evidence is weighted against you, but ultimately it's what they want to do. So if a client tells you, no, absolutely, this is how I I don't, you know, I take what you say on board, but this is how I want to proceed with it. You just have to proceed with it on that basis. I thought it was interesting what you said about the reason he had to take the stand was because of the story he was telling. And and at the time, um, Nicola, who, as as you know, has been in court every single day, said to me, I've never seen a defendant take the stand before like this in, in a murder trial. And you've just said then it's highly unusual. It's not so much in the UK. You do see defendants taking the stand in the UK, not often, but sort of more often than, than I think in Ireland. Yeah. And that's just because there's no point. Is that what you're saying? There's no point in them taking the stand usually. Usually what the approach defendants to or accused people take is that, look, we'll just challenge the evidence and try and get evidence kicked out. Or you could use your barrister to just attack the credibility of a witness. I don't know. I think there's sometimes a fear that when the accused person goes into the box, I guess their inconsistencies can come out and be used against them. If it's a simply a situation where you're saying, I didn't do it, I wasn't there. There's no reason for you to get into the box to say, I didn't do it, I wasn't there. To then keep yourself open to a cross-examination, you don't need to take the stand to do that. But if you are saying, well, I was there, but there's some something different in what the prosecution's saying, like in the case of Mr. Pushka, like there's no way he could have 
ran that defense without getting into the box. He was he had his own version of events of what occurred in those days. So really, the only way he could have put that defense to the jury is by taking the box. So I guess most of the time in murder trials, it's usually they're saying it just wasn't me, depending on the trial. But that's why they don't need to take the box. And they they definitely be advised not to take the box if that's all that you're trying to get across. Mm. That was quite a twist in this case when Michael Bowman told the jury that, in fact, actually, yes, Joseph Pushka was in the ditch with Ashling. There was almost a gasp in court when that happened. Yeah, um, I don't think that wasn't leaked beforehand. I don't think anyone knew what type of defence was going to be ran. But it makes sense based on the evidence that was being presented by the prosecution. I mean, it's very difficult to get away from DNA evidence. I mean... I think, what did they say? It was one in a billion or something chances. What, what was it? One in a thousand million, Nicola? That's right. Yeah. That was for the bicycle saddle. And then for the DNA under Ashin's fingernails, that was one in 14,000 is my understanding. Yeah. yeah I mean, it's, it's it's a tough one to get away from. I mean, you're going to have to answer that. The jury is going to be looking at that as a, you know, it's a huge piece of evidence. So, I mean, you're going to have to address that if you are running a not guilty trial. In any not guilty trial, if you have DNA, you have to explain why it's there. In, in terms of what you think the judge might say tomorrow, uh, what he, what you think he might sentence him to, what, what would your thoughts be on, on tariff or, or number of years he might give Joseph Pushka? Um, well, Judge Hunt has to give the mandatory life imprisonment. So that's what he'll hand down. He doesn't need to comment. He may, he may make some comments. I'm not sure, but yeah, no, he, his hands are tied. So he will invite the family to give a victim impact report. And then after that, it's just handing down the sentence. There's not much else to it, really. Yeah. Just on that, Emer, just when the verdict was read there, Judge Hunt made quite a number of comments in the court. Is that unusual? Yeah, you're right. I thought that was unusual because I, in the UK, we often see uh, comments made on sentence, but not on conviction. Actually, at that point, just as a, as a straightforward, you know, adjournment for sentence, and the judge says very little at that point, in my experience. So it was unusual, I thought, to get really strikingly strong comments about there being evil in the room on conviction rather than on sentence. So whether or not he feels he's made his comments now and doesn't need to make any more on sentence, something tells me I doubt that, <laughs> knowing Judge Hunt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean... Judges can make comments, but I mean, the risk, I guess, why it wouldn't be set after conviction is perhaps if an accused person is going to appeal a case, you don't want to have, uh, I guess, comments like that on the transcript. But Thank you so much for joining us about that. And we'll see what happens tomorrow at the sentencing. Great. I'll see you. Thanks, guys. Yeah, that was great insight from Ema there, who is in and out of these courts all of the time across Ireland and in Dublin. So knows this system really, really well. And it gives us a bit of an insight, Nicola, into what we're going to see tomorrow in Dublin. As you said, this court will be full. All the families will be there. Now, we don't know if Joseph Pushka will be there, do we? You know, as Ema was saying there, he'll be brought to court because he's in custody. Increasingly, we have been seeing defendants people convicted, refusing to come into court to listen to those victim impact statements. And that that really would be the final insult, wouldn't it, if he refused to come into court tomorrow? It sure would, Caroline. It'll be very interesting to see whether he actually does come into the dock to listen to those statements. So we'll be back, Nicola, on Friday to bring every detail from what happens at the sentencing hearing. Yeah, I'll be in court and I'll bring you every development. See you then. 
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.